Well, this evening we are talking about loving our neighbor. That's our second core practice as we begin this new year together, looking at what it means to be a part of the mission of the Neighborhood Church. We have our partnership agreements down here at the front. If you have filled one of these out in the past, we're inviting you to prayerfully consider filling one out, signing it for this year. That's what it means to be a part of this church and the mission that God has for us. These five core practices, we didn't invent them, we just named them. Aaron did some cool icons for them. This is a way of synthesizing or summing up our life as God's people together, as we follow Jesus for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. Now, as we get into our second core practice, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 13. It's in the New Testament there, Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at a couple verses here in just a moment. So these are not core values. These are core practices. And tonight we're talking about loving our neighbor, not just in theory, but in practice. So let's see what Paul says about loving our neighbor. Uh, Shauna reminded us of some of the things that Jesus instructed us about loving our neighbor. Some of this should sound familiar to you. Let's look in Romans chapter 13, verse Eight. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Now pause, he's talking about those within the Christian community. But then he broadens that reach in just a moment. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, they're all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. This evening, we're going to talk about who our neighbors are and how we're called to love them. But first, I want to talk about what Paul just wrote. Well, he didn't just write it. I just read it. And Paul's argument or statement basically boiled down to these three Things we're going to spend the first half of our time looking at before we get into who's our neighbor, how are we called to love them. So Paul's teaching basically is this. Love is a debt that we'll always owe our neighbor. Our neighbors would be those within the church community and those without. That's the first thing we're going to look at. The second thing that Paul says is love is the true expression of, of the law. He says this three times in different ways. Love sums everything up together. Love fulfills all of the Old Testament law and God's will for God's people. And then the third thing that he says is that love seeks the good of the other. Love seeks the good of the other. We're going to look at each of those in sequence and then we're going to talk about our neighbors and how we are called to love them. So first, y'all noticed in verse 8 that Paul talks about the fact that love is a debt that we will always owe our neighbor. Now this is a hinge from what came just before it. 
And what came just before it is a pretty famous text that deals with our relationship to the government or the state, right? It's famous because it's the most extended treatment of how we are to live as good citizens. And he says good citizens pay taxes. Sorry, y'all. We got to pay some taxes. And Paul strikingly even says we owe honor and respect to those in authority. And he meant an emperor who thought he was a god. And we might have a president that kind of thinks some highly of himself. And we are to owe him honor and respect. And we are to owe him our prayers. Amen? Which is what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Mark. Yes. True. Now, it's a hinge from how we are to relate to our government and what we owe them. But then he shifts gears and says, but you're never going to be able to pay down the debt that we owe to others. Now, love is the student loans of our Christian life together. I don't know if you're like me, but I ain't never going to pay these things down. And he says, love is like student loans. It's a debt that you will always owe. Now, here's the sad part. How many payments have the church missed in our culture today? Do you get what I'm saying? Would you ever get away with not paying your rent or mortgage for three months? Shake your head, and those of you who are emphatically shaking your head have missed a rent check or two. You know that you've got to do everything you can within your power to pay this down. Now, sometimes things happen and you can't, but Paul's message is this. You are always in debt to those that you encounter. You always owe them love. We are indebted to the least, the left out, and the lonely, and to the degree that we do not love them is the degree to which we are not paying out and giving out as a channel of God's love, and they're missing out on the love that should be extended through us. Let me say it this way. You will never arrive at a place where you can say, I've loved enough. Think of that person that you are struggling in a relationship with. I believe that the co-suffering love modeled by Jesus Christ who laid his life down for the world that would not give him two cents, he gave everything. Think about that person. Even where there is a boundary, even where there is a tough love, there is always a step of love to be taken. There is always a check of love to be written. How do I mean this? Sometimes you may have to create a boundary that says, I cannot be in a face-to-face relationship with you in this time and this season. But there is a love that is within our hearts. There is a love that comes out in prayers to the Father who loves them. There is a love that seeks the good of the other, which is the third point we'll get to in a moment. But there is always a next step of love to take. 
even if it's tough love, even if it's boundaries. Love is a debt that we will always owe our neighbor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Would we be a church that is continually writing checks to our neighbors of love, self-giving love? Why? The second point that Paul tries to make is that love is the true expression of the law. He says this emphatically in three different ways in three short verses. Love sums up the law. We're going to talk about summing up the law in the second half of this text, this sermon. But love is the true expression of the law. These Old Testament commands that he rattles off are summed up in loving our neighbor as ourselves because this is the kind of love that reflects both God's attitude and God's action. Y'all say God's attitude and God's action. Let's try it. Attitude and action. I'm just making sure we're all awake because I got off of that stool to make sure I stay awake. Here's what I mean by that. When you go back and look at the Old Testament, All of the 613 laws are an effort to express the kind of life that God desires his people to live. Now, what has changed is Jesus. We are no longer under the law. Jesus has fulfilled and moved us beyond the law. And in his new covenant agreement, written in his blood, that he inaugurated with his death and resurrection, he's written that law in our hearts and he said, come follow me, which is what we talked about last week. In fact, two weeks ago, we talked about the relationship to the law where Jesus has moved us beyond it. He's ushered in some new wine and new wineskins, inviting us into a new life with God. Now listen, the aim of love is the same. It's just a different expression. It's why you will eat bacon tomorrow morning, even though it's forbidden in the Old Testament law. We need to understand this relationship. It doesn't mean that law is bad. It means that law was for its time, for its people, in its place. Jesus has moved us beyond the law, written it in our hearts, but the aim is always love. It is always summed up in love. Last week we talked about the Shema prayer. The law to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus amended that Shema, which we'll talk about in a moment, and added what? Love your what? Neighbor as yourself. Here's the focus statement. Why this sums up. Why this is the true expression of the law. Write this down. It's on the screen here. The love of God is really working in you when love of neighbor is flowing out of you. Paul is able to say all of this stuff works and sums up the whole law. All of this is the true expression of God's will for you because when you're loving your neighbor, it means you must know the God who invented love. If you are loving your neighbor, you must know the God who is himself love. If you are pouring out love, it must be because you have received love. Now, can people who do not know God like and love and do good to others? Yes. When you read 1 John, he uses some pretty stark, diametrically opposed black and white language. But the point that John is trying to make is that a distinctly Christian love is a love that 
loves others as themselves, even if they're not like us or even if you don't like them. Are you with me? So the truest expression of love and the truest expression of the law is when the love of God is working in you and then it flows out of you. You were made to be a channel or a river, not a bucket. And this is what we're after when we say we're called to love neighbor. You are on real shaky ground if you make any criteria of judgment about anything other than how well we've loved. I want to be really careful here. But I defy you to find a space in the New Testament that elevates anything above love. And especially when Jesus talks in Matthew 25 about what we will be judged on at the end of the age, it is love expressing itself in love of neighbor through tangible actions. When I was naked, you what? Clothed me. When I was hungry, you what? You fed me. And then when I move into uh, Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says the famous thing, you've heard at every wedding you've ever been at, except for the weddings I do, nobody wants me to do 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe because it's so ubiquitous, right? But y'all know it. Love is patient, right? Love is kind. Love, 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 love. But then he goes, if I can go and do these amazing things, but if I have not what? Love. It doesn't matter how rightly he believed. Now, you got to think Jesus is Lord. But if you're loving that way, it means that the right love is working in you. So you got that check marked, right? But it, it, it wasn't because he summed up and said the exact right sequence of words for a sinner's prayer, okay? I'm just, speak, I'm just like, are you with me? You know what I mean? If I speak in tongues of angels, which is a spirit-filled activity, but I don't have love, I'm no better than a clanging gong or cymbal. Love is it. And he says, faith, hope, love, all of these things are amazing, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Everyone say love. Love, 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 love. Here's the problem. What's the church known for? There it is. I wanted your answer to be true, but the studies show his answer to be true. Last year I preached on loving our neighbor, and I started with some statistics from the Barna Group. Top three things, judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual. Love doesn't crack the top three. We've missed it. The only criteria is how well you've loved. You will be evaluated on how well you loved. What did you do with the love God gave you to flow out of you into love of neighbor? That's why the whole thing can be summed up in how well we love our neighbors. How and what does that love look like? Third, love seeks the good of the other Love is more than a feeling, it's more than an emotion, it is a choice, and it is an actionable choice, right? So let's imagine that when Amy comes home tomorrow afternoon, and she says, well, how was your weekend? And I said, well, I didn't cheat on you this weekend, so that's good. Didn't commit adultery in the 32 hours you've been gone. I didn't kill all the kids, I didn't murder Emma and Nora when they didn't clean up the Barbies and I legit almost tripped on a Barbie car in the kitchen. Why was it in the kitchen? But I didn't kill them. I didn't steal any food from Walmart because I didn't want to cook. And I didn't covet somebody's house that was way cleaner than the house that you're walking into tomorrow afternoon. 
I'd say I did pretty well, Amy. Those who have ears to hear will notice that I just referenced the four commands that Paul references in our passage that we just read. These are Ten Commandments kind of commands. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. All of these are violence or harm to another, yes? These are all violence to another person. That is an important half of the coin. But the thing about coins are there's two sides to every coin. So Paul says very clearly, love does no harm to a neighbor. Leviticus 19.18, Jesus, when he remixes that Shema, love the Lord your God, and adds love your neighbor as yourself, he edited out the first bit, which I believe would be the other half of the coin we just talked about. Look at this ancient Israelite law. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Then he says, but love your neighbor as yourself. The love coin, if you will, that we owe to all people, that we will never pay down fully, not only seeks to do no harm, but there's an active dimension of loving them and seeking the good that we ourselves would want to have. Jesus taught the golden rule, right? I asked Emma, have you heard, do unto others as you would have done to you? She says, yes, what does that mean? I think I heard it, treat yourself, or treat others the way you want to be treated. I said, yes, that's, I should have said that. But y'all know the do unto others, golden rule. That's a Jesus thing. It pops up in many of the great religions of our day, but there is this two-sided thing to not only seek the good, but to also actively not seek their harm. And that's a heart attitude that I think we need to carry with us into loving our neighbor. To not seek revenge, to not bear a grudge. Now some of us aren't there plotting an evil and diabolical plot, but some of us have a default setting that when someone says this or does that, the instant reaction is one to lash back. Y'all have heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. A distinctly Christian love is to seek the good of the other and also to not do harm to the other. There is a do and a do not dimension to this kind of love. So love is the debt that we owe our neighbor and we'll never pay it down. Love is the true expression of God's will, God's law. He's always wanted his people to be about love, 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 love. And then thirdly, love seeks the good of the other. Love is other-centered. You need an other, and it's seeking the good. Not just not doing harm, but doing active good. Okay, if love seeks the good of the other, now it's time to switch gears and say, who is the other? Who is our neighbor? This brings us to the second core practice, how and who we are to love. We say it this way in our church. We commit to love our neighbor as ourself, regardless of, do we have that up there? I'm just going to try to shoot from the hip. Regardless of their race, ethnicity, background, orientation, or status, which is everybody. How could we say something so crazy, so drastic? We commit to love our neighbor as ourself, regardless of their race, ethnicity, background, orientation, or status. This is what we're going to spend the last little bit of our time together, which is everybody. How did we get there? 
Well, this Monday is not just Grandpa Wood's birthday. Happy early birthday. This Monday is a remembrance of another birthday in the neighborhood of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, right? So Martin Luther King Jr. Day is Monday. There's a parade in downtown Garland. There'll be tons of events and activities around DFW. And Monday is the day where we set aside and remember his legacy. The question that I've been thinking of is, how do you sum up his legacy? How do you sum up all of the things and all that he means to this country and even the world? You got to start, I guess, with how he was a community organizer, right? Someone had to step up, and I believe that God raised him up to take this disenfranchised um, group and race of people and galvanize them into a movement that was calling for the end of the Jim Crow laws in the South. So he organized and galvanized this community. Now I know there were many, but he became the figurehead, right? Or do you sum up his legacy by saying he was a political influencer? Because what's the first image of him that pops into your mind? Is it not at the Washington Mall with thousands of people out there? And the I Have a Dream speech. Okay, so then do we talk about he, how he was probably one of the greatest orators in the last 50 years? I mean, who else would you put in the category in the last half of the century? He was an amazing preacher, speech maker, and giver. And it's incredible the things and the content, not just the famous ones, but even the little bitty ones. I think you got to talk about how he was a nonviolent activist. That's what I think made that movement a distinctly spirit-led kingdom movement because it embodied the teachings of Jesus in a country that claimed to be Christian but did not love neighbor and sought to harm neighbors based on the color of their skin. It was a nonviolent movement rooted in the teachings of Jesus. They said that he read the Sermon on the Mount every single morning and every single evening he would return and think of the ways in which that he did not live into the kingdom life that Jesus had called him to which involved turning the other cheek blessing those who persecuted but still building his life on Jesus in his way how do you sum up such an amazing legacy one of my favorite musicians attempted to sum it up poetically his name is Ben Harper, and he like kind of does all the genres, right? And then one of the songs that he wrote years ago is called Picture of Jesus. And it's an a cappella song that he sings with Lady Smith Black Mumbazo. And this is one of my all-time favorite songs. And he starts talking about a literal picture of Jesus that he hangs in his home. And then he starts to think of the ways in which other people have risen up and become themselves a picture of Jesus. And he uses Martin Luther King Jr. as a picture of Jesus. And this is how he tries to sum up his legacy in this verse of this song. He says, Now it has been spoken that he, Jesus, would come again. But would we recognize this king among men? There was a man in our time. His words shine bright like the sun. He tried to lift the masses and was crucified by gun. He says he was a picture of Jesus. Now, 
We talked about the mantle he carried, trying to lift the masses, community organizer, influencer, activist, all of these things. He was crucified by a gun on April 4th, 1968. Two months before that, February 4th, he was at the church that he pastored in Atlanta called Ebenezer Baptist Church. And in his own words, two months before he would walk into that or out of that motel and be shot down, he spoke on his death. And he spoke his own legacy, what he would wished it to be, in his own words. He says, if any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. <laughs> he said, I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. Everything he did, everything he stood for, in his estimation, his legacy, he wished it would be said that he tried to love somebody. Is that not the understatement of the century? But could there be any greater legacy of this self-giving love, giving his life so that the, the unvalued would be valued? that the unloved would be loved. And isn't that kind of love the love that changed our country? But isn't that the kind of love that is still trying to change the country that still needs a fair bit of changing? Isn't that the kind of love that Paul is talking about, that we're called to love our neighbors with, and the who matters? That's why we say... If love sums up God's action, attitude, and intent, and if love sums up all the 613 laws into this unifying command to live out of in everyday life, where Jesus, when he remixes the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all you have, and then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I just got to wonder, I just got to wonder, did Jesus intend his followers, who were good Jews, to pray, love your neighbor as yourself, as often as they prayed, love the Lord your God with everything you got? Last week we read Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, love your God with everything. Okay? The verses after that Read thusly. These commandments, love your God with everything, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames. Basically this, don't miss it. Don't move past it. You'll never move through it or around it or you've never checked it off your list. It's a daily reminder in our everyday life until it flows out of us into love of neighbor. I just don't know it, but would you go with me? When Jesus remixed and amended the love the Lord your God with everything 
and said, elevating this law from Leviticus 19.18 with it, I wonder if he wanted them to say, love your neighbor as yourself when they sit down, when they walk down the road, when they drive down Garland Avenue, when they step into the rock, when they gift someone a coat, when they gift someone a check into these offering baskets, surrendering what we have so that it would be multiplied in our hands throughout the world, into Central Asia, into the Middle East. And I just wonder if he said, love your neighbor when you go out and do this and do that, because we tend to forget, we tend to draw the boundary line and say, here's the them that I'll love and the us I will ignore. But what do we say in our church? Don't we say that Jesus has rezoned our neighborhood? Because when the expert in the law said, well, who's my neighbor? He was basically saying what? Who's the bare minimum people that I got to love? Is it the people that I like? Is it the people that like me back? Jesus says earlier in his teachings, how good is it if you love the people that like you? Isn't that the easiest thing in the world? A distinctly Christian love is one that sees no boundary, no wall. He rezones our neighborhood, and everyone we encounter is now a neighbor to be loved, not a person to be rejected, a person to be feared. If God has a posture toward this humanity that is one of self-giving love, we as his people need to be transformed by that love and go out and extend that love to others. So we commit to love others as ourselves, regardless of race, background, ethnicity, orientation, or status. Well, wait a minute. How can we love these neighbors if he's rezoned this when we're different, when we disagree or we don't get along? Let me leave you with this. Lead with love, not theology. You may disagree with them. You may be hurt by them. You may not agree with their lifestyle. You may not agree with what they do or don't do. But when you lead with love, you might get hurt, but you will never be wrong. When you lead with love and not theology, because a Christ-shaped love is perfect theology, I'm convinced of this. If love sums up the law, if love is a debt that we always owe and will never pay, and if love is seeking the good of the other, as painful and as costly as it will be, and it costs Jesus his life, it costs Martin Luther King Jr. his life, and the line forms to the left of the pain and suffering that you have when you take up a cross, because Jesus took up a cross not to condemn the world, but to save the world, and it was because of love, and it cost him his life. Why should you expect any different? Because love should be comfortable and love should be fine around my dinner table with people that I like to talk to, that look like me, that smell like me, that talk like me. I can't love that person. No, you need to stretch. We need to stretch. We're called to rezone our neighborhood out of these walls and into those streets because Jesus has already shared the table and he's setting a table with the sinners and the addicted and the gay and the transgendered and fill in the blank. Wouldn't you want them close to Jesus? instead of far from Jesus. Oh, well, I don't know what we think about this. And guess what? Your pastors are sorting it out. We're praying about it. But here's one thing that's unequivocal. We welcome them. We love them, period. Where we land on this or that, yet to be seen. TBD. In this church, all are loved, 
all are welcomed, period. And when we're not, that's when you need to get rid of me and get rid of yourself because we're not leading with love. We're not modeling the Jesus who called us to love God with everything so that it flows out into loving everyone. This is the trick. Is it messy? Is it hard? Is it impractical? Yes, but it's what we're called to do. I want to leave you with a story and two questions. Author Tony Campolo tells a story years ago after a long flight to Honolulu, one of those flights that just wipe you out. He was having trouble sleeping, so he got up in the middle of the night and he went to one of those all-night diners. And he's sitting in the booth and he overheard a group of prostitutes talking and laughing after a long night of work. And he overheard one of these women say, tomorrow is my 39th birthday. And because they had been talking and laughing, one of the friends kind of snapped back and said, what do you want, a party or a cake? And then the first woman got pretty defensive and said, you know, I haven't had a birthday party my whole life, so yeah, why should I expect one now? So then Tony Campolo gets up and he conspires with the owner of the diner. He says, you know, I've got this crazy idea. Let's bake a cake. And do they come in every night? And he's like, yeah, they're pretty much regulars. He said, okay, let's bake a cake, and I'm going to come back tomorrow, and we're going to throw an impromptu birthday party, 39th birthday party for that woman. So then you can imagine (laughs) the next evening or morning, however you look at it, that weird mix (laughs) of sweetness and awkwardness when they walk in and these strangers are singing happy birthday. Then, of course, her friends join in and then they start cutting the cake. And what a weird and beautiful birthday party in this diner. But that's not the end of the story. After this impromptu birthday party, Campolo offers to pray for this woman. And at that point, the owner freaks out. And he's observing this man praying for this prostitute after they've shared this cake. They go off into the night, and the owner whips his head around and looks at Campolo and says, what kind of church do you belong to? And Campolo looked him in the eye and said, the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. And isn't that the kind of church that loves their neighbor regardless of their race, ethnicity, background, orientation, or status. Here's the question. How will the neighborhood church love our neighbor or live into our name in 2019? We've got to live out our core practice in our everyday life. It starts with the people directly around you. When you wake up, when you Go around when you impress on your children to love this person or that person regardless of all the ways that divide us. How we do that functionally, practically, is to do some neighbor nights. And and there's not a lot of restrictions or guidance on that except that would you just try like for one week to try to get outside of this church and spend some meaningful time around a table with somebody? Another way, of course, is our neighborhood closed closet. And I'm, I'm praying that God would use our presence there to translate into more and more conversations and connections and that 
God would use that and that we would take a step to invite people not just to our church but into life in God's kingdom and to give them a family. And then I think not just giving, although we're going to invite you to give more and more to the kinds of mission and work that helps love our neighbor all around the world. But I think there's going to be some kingdom experiments that we're saying, look, we know the horizon. We know where we're headed. We know the kind of church we want to be. But we still feel kind of like, what's that first step, second step? Like, we, we got we to gotta just do something. I think there's going to be some kingdom experiments that we want to pray with and dream up with you guys. That's our church. How will you love your neighbor in 2019? Who's a them? When the world says, here's us and here's them, who's a them in your heart, in your mind? And what does do no harm look like in your relationships? Love does no harm to a neighbor. What does that look like? And finally, what about seeking the good? What does that look like for you this week? What good do you need to chase down Because if the love of God is really working in you, then love of neighbor is what's going to be flowing out of you. So Father, we pray that you would move in our hearts and then move us out into the streets for your kingdom in our neighborhood as we go and love our neighbors the way that you would love them. As ourselves, sacrificially, seeking their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, everybody, please stand to receive your benediction. Now go forth from this place with renewed inspiration to do the work of God. Seek good, not evil. Love goodness and establish justice. This, the greatest offering we can make, letting justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Go in peace with love for our neighbors.